Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop of Highway 7 Ridgeline from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is September the 29th, 2011. This is episode 752 of the Survival Podcast, and it's going to be cool. I have Courtney Clay standing by on the line. Courtney is a young lady who is, uh, who was, I should say, unschooled. She was homeschooled and, quote, unschooled. I've talked a lot about this subject in the past. I thought it'd be great to bring somebody on who actually knew it uh, from a firsthand uh, experience and what it was like and what she learned and what her life is like and what kind of person you become when you experience this type of learning. And uh, we'll bring her on in just a moment. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and help take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, Emergency Essentials, located at BePrepared.com. Uh, folks, if you want to make sure that you are prepared, Emergency Essentials is a great place to do just that, really specializing in long-term storage food and other great emergency preparedness items. They also have a tremendous amount of free knowledge available to you in the resources section. And again, you will find them at EmergencyEssentials.com. Next up today, Western Botanicals. Western Botanicals is awesome, man. When I need any kind of herbal anything and... Um, I don't have it growing in my backyard or in my cabinet. I tool on over to westernbotanicals.com, and I know whatever I'm looking for, I'm going to find it. And I'm going to find it either organically grown or wild-crafted. And I know if I'm not sure what I need, I pick the phone up and talk to Dr. Kyle Christensen or any member of his staff. They're going to be helpful, courteous, and find me and help me, help me find exactly what I need and tell me exactly what to do with it when I find it. And I know that I can also have their free premium membership where I get 25% off everything they sell because, of course, I'm a member of my own member support brigade, and I hope you are too. Because, yes, if you are a member of the support brigade, you get their premium membership valued at $50 a year absolutely for free, and you save 25% every time you shop with them. So check out Western Botanicals today. Great supporter of the show and the members brigade. Next up today, uh, I want to uh, remind you guys, connect with me through Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Uh, you can always do that at the website. There's links there to do that. Check out our gear shop. We have some really cool stuff there. Uh, check out our forum. Lots of great folks want to make contact with you. And uh, I also want to remind you guys, I will be in Salt Lake City uh, for the Self-Reliance Expo, and I will be there on October 7th and 8th. So that is coming up awful quick. So I wanted to remind you guys about the Self-Reliance Expo. I'll include a link to that in today's show notes. I'll be doing keynote speaking there again. We'll have a booth. And we're going to have a lot of stuff from uh, audience, uh, from, or from the sponsors and MSB supporters in the booth to go over with you, talk to you about, and we're going to be making them available as door prizes to attendees of the expo at the end of the expo on Saturday evening. So you'll want to stay till the end on Saturday if you can, because we're going to be helping a lot of other folks uh, out, and there's going to be some other stuff donated, I believe, and a lot of free stuff is going to be given away at the end of the expo. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You get great benefits like the one I just talked about, along with $100 worth of free ebooks, exclusive content available nowhere else, etc. Remember, military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, firefighters, anybody at a national service level, if you email me the details of your service, prior service, or active duty, I will give you a discount to the Member Support Brigade, a discount code that applies to people that have provided a service to our nation. And with that, I have gotten the housekeeping wrapped up early today because it is uh, my great pleasure to bring on our special guest. All right, folks, as I said during the introduction segment, we're fortunate to have with us today Miss Courtney Clay. Courtney is a uh, person who was unschooled her entire uh, childhood, and she received great benefit from this method of self-directed learning. She's now 29 years old. She has a two-year-old son of her own. She's enthusiastic about other things like sustainability, nature-based community, self-sufficiency, enjoying wild food, and all of nature's healthy free gifts, and growing and preparing her own nourishing food. She also has an awesome blog I was checking out earlier today in pre preparation for the interview. It's at uh, chocotrixie.blogspot.com. I'll have links to that in the show notes. But she's here today to talk to us specifically about unschooling, something you guys know that I'm pretty passionate about since I've learned more about it. Courtney, uh, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you. Well, we're glad to have you here. Um, 
I, I had a lot of problems with people, I think, in debate on the blog after the episode I did on unschooling, where I kind of said it's not really set in stone exactly what it is, but what you guys are debating isn't what I said on the show. I'd like to get from someone that actually has been through it, and I'm probably planning on using it as at least part of your own kid's uh, upbringing. Um, what is unschooling from your perspective? Um, unschooling is based on the, uh, the perception that humans naturally have a have a very strong drive innate drive to learn and that's one of our you know just as we have um just as we have certain innate mechanisms inside of us that that cause us to do things that for survival we also have this innate mechanism inside to learn and it's it wake you know it awakens as soon as we're born and we see this often in you know in you know Everyone sees it in infants and toddlers who are just have just practice and practice and practice like crawling and rolling over and walking and talking and just go at it over and over again, no matter how many times they fall. And what's underneath that is this is just this, this incredibly passionate drive to learn. And unschooling is based on the understanding that you know if you if if someone allows that natural process, then that's and, and doesn't try to, you know, prune it or or direct it in a way that it doesn't want to go, then what's going to flourish is genius, and it's a, it, and it will be a specific kind of genius depending on the person and and their, you know, maybe their mission in life or their life path or their interests or their personality, and that's why it can be, it, you know, so many children feel so stifled in a school environment because it's trying to make everyone the same and make everyone like. Um, you know, tailor every single person to having the same skills and the same abilities, whereas, you know, a child, if they were left to their own devices, are really encouraged and, and you know, provided, given the, the resources and the support to learn what they're truly interested in, they, they will become geniuses in certain areas. And, 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 um, like, like I, like me, for example, I'm, I'm, uh, like, I know a lot, I know, like, really, a lot of things about the things I'm really interested in, and I know enough about the stuff that I'm, you know, have had passing interest in, or other people might think I want, I need to know. So, yeah, I, I guess that's, I guess that pretty much answers your question about what is unschooling. It's based on, it's based on an understanding and an honoring of of our natural drive to learn. I mean that makes a that makes a lot of sense to me, but you know uh, the naysayers say things like and, and I thought I addressed this pretty well, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Well, but you know they need to learn reading and writing and, and math, and, yeah. and, and I, I don't disagree, but I don't think that anybody in this movement is talking about making sure kids don't learn these things. I think actually yeah. that there you have to have like if you want to. You, if a kid wants to learn about something and is going to make reading part of that learning, well, then obviously they learn to read by learning about the subject. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I've my experience. Um, it was me and my two younger sisters who were all unschooled during our childhood, and we also had you know quite a good group of friends um, who who were also unschooled. And what I've what I've um, experienced in my own life and also seen in my friends' lives is is um you know everyone everyone wants to be proficient in their world everyone wants to to be a, a master and to be you know recognized as someone who's you know in the know and someone who's um who's masterful and, and looked up on and respected and everyone you know children crave that teenagers for sure crave that just that recognition from their peers that that you know they they know a lot in the world and that admiration so I think that desire will actually pro- propel um, children and teenagers to uh, to actually want to know about you know reading and math and and various things that that are skills that they're going to need in the way the world's structured right now. I mean, there's you, know, you, look, you look around and, and there's words everywhere. I mean, it just makes sense that a child would see that and wonder about it and like, oh man, well, what is what does that mean? Like, I want to know. I want to know this. I want to know what it means and also to know how to how to use numbers in the way that our society uses numbers because. Everyone wants to be a masterful, um, masterful person who can easily navigate through the world in a very graceful and smooth way. And, and like you, what you were saying, also, that's it's definitely true that if someone is interested in a certain skill and that skill requires reading or numbers or you know math or writing or some or something like that, then the child will be very motivated to develop that skill 
just because they're, you know, their their interest seems to require that at that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I look back to my high school experience, and I think about like the math and all the math they said you're gonna need in your future, and yeah. turns out I really haven't needed it. And I can tell you that I've learned more practical mathematical applications from t- things like taking wood shop and metal shop, uh, and, and, and participating in shooting sports and brewing beer, uh, than I've ever learned from, uh, a conventional mathematical education. Not that I don't think we should teach fundamental mathematics, basic, you know, multiply, divide, add, subtract, memorization of the 1 through 12. That stuff, we use that every day, but to me, some of this higher math, unless you're if you're interested in being an engineer, well, then that makes sense to me. But if you're not, we're really not all going to use calculus every day. We're just not going to, in my view. So if it's dependent on the skill sought, I guess that the student has a lot more compunction to try to learn. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I have, actually have a good story about kind of about the math part in particular. Um, I mean, I learned, I was, as a child, not all children are like this, but as a child I actually enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed going off and on with, you know, workbooks, like, you know, math workbooks and writing workbooks. I thought it was, a, to me, it was a fun game. And I went back and forth with them. Like, sometimes I was interested and sometimes I wasn't, and that was okay. Either one was okay with my parents. So I, you know, I learned, you know, I learned basic math at a, um, actually a pretty early age compared to most children, but that was just because, you know, that's who I am and that's, my, my sisters were later because they had other interests. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I learned all the basic math up to like maybe high school math or something, um, when I was younger and there came a point when I was 15, um, where I wanted to learn, uh, learn how to read music and I found out that um, my local community college actually gave, you know, music theory and music reading classes, and I just thought that would be really fun to go to, go take some classes on music theory and guitar and piano. So, um, so I, I looked into getting into this community college, and I found out that they, they required a, um, a college level entrance, ex- or high school, you know, basically a high school graduate level entrance exam for people who don't have GEDs, cause I didn't, I was only 15. Um, so I studied for this, exam, which is probably really similar to the GED, um, and, and I found I found that the the reading and writing tests were were totally like my level, like I'd already achieved everything that they, and I passed the, those tests really well. Um, the math, I, I knew it was going to be an algebra test, and I had, had not studied any algebra at that, up to that point. So I got got this little workbook, it's, it's called the Algebra Survival Kit, it's like this, this little thing that's meant to basically teach you algebra in a very short period of time by making it very, you know, very sensical. Like, it really makes sense, and it's learning in a certain way. So, anyway, I studied this little booklet for 17 days, a little over two weeks, and I passed this, um, I'd never studied algebra before that at all, and I studied 17 days worth of algebra in my entire life and passed this, um, you know, high school graduate level college entrance exam um, easily. And I realized from from that experience that that this uh, the subject that children take two years to learn in high school it it was it was easy for me to do in two weeks and it just showed me how how it takes so long to learn something if you're not interested in it because you have to be you, you're thinking always wanting to think about something else just being drugged through these things just kind of you know trudging through it and not even wanting to be there and and um, and you don't retain that information. That's why it takes so long because you have to just—they just have to force it into this, those children who are not really interested in it. I—I I was able to learn it in two weeks because I was—I was really my goal. Well, you were motivated. You yeah. wanted to take a class on music, and I, I guess see my problem with the whole modern education system is if you want to take a few music classes at a community college. Why the heck do you, I mean, it's great that you did it, and it's great that yeah. it's possible, and it's sure an example of how we've made something take two years that can be done in a few weeks yeah. if we actually just made it simple, but my other question is, why the heck do we have an education system today that says somebody who wants to learn about music and art and culture needs to know algebra? I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, my, I was actually in college for four years from when I was 15 to 19, and, and all I studied was music and theater because that was all I was interested in, and I didn't bother with any, you know, basic courses because I didn't care about those things. And another thing is, um, you know, that algebra I studied in two weeks, I, I never used any of it again. 
Yeah, I, I like I've I've said that basically I can teach you all the algebra that you need to know for living in daily life in about five minutes. Yeah, and it's simply how to make somewhat complex problems broken down and simple, where we take things like back to a factor of ten or whatever. And and I could literally teach anybody with basic mathematical understanding that in fifteen minutes on a whiteboard. And that is your daily life. And I think most people look at it and go, well, I know how to do that already. I didn't know that was algebra. And I think that – but you know who taught me that was an accounting teacher, right? That, that's who taught me that when he's going, if you're looking at a financial statement, you just want to sum check everything and make sure it makes sense. You do this, 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 and this. And by the way, that's algebra. And I'm like, you just tricked <laughs> me into learning algebra. And I took your class as a math credit so I wouldn't have to, but cool. Um, so just overall – as as someone who's been through the unschooling lifestyle, and I guess you're planning this for your kids from reading your blog, what are some of the benefits that you've you know gotten from this uh, compared to people like you see around you that were schooled in like modern society's method? Um, I think the main benefit is a very strong sense of of um, inner self direction. It's a listening to this. For me, I. I I find that I'm, it's very easy compared to a lot of people around me who went to school, like people I know really well. Uh, it's very easy for me to feel inspired, to recognize that I feel inspiration when I think about a certain thing and, and then just feel really confident in just diving into that subject full on, knowing that it, I really, it's important that I do that because of my inspiration. And it's also important, I mean, it's also easy for me to, to let go of the fact that I don't have interest in certain subjects and then just like just accept that that's just not part of what I want to do or it's not part of my reality. I, around me I see a lot of the people who went through school, especially the people who really struggled with it and rebelled and didn't like it. Um, I see that there's a little bit more of a, like an underlying kind of internal like they almost have like this judgment of themselves or an expectation that they should be doing something but they don't want to, they, they want to do something else, and then, but they don't feel confident enough about being able to do the thing they really want to do because they were never encouraged to do that thing as a child, so they end up doing something, they end up just trying to get away from it all and escape, you know, playing video games or just spacing out on various things because they don't feel like they can be successful at what they really want to do because they were never told that they could be. They always were told that they had to do a certain thing a certain way. And for me, I've I've been able to just say, just recognize that I want to do a certain thing and then just go for it and find myself, you know, find, find success in my experience of that because I'm, I just feel confident that I can do whatever I want to do. Yeah, I mean, what I hear you kind of saying is, I refer to this way in the show all the time, is breaking the rules. And I don't mean breaking the rules like there's rules that you can't go to a bank and take somebody else's money out. That's that's a legal rule. But we also have these societal expectation rules that I call them where people feel like I'm expected to conform to this particular template. And if I'm not going to conform to the accepted societal template, then I'm going to conform to one of the other anti-societal templates, like being a loser and playing video games. And that's actually an accepted norm for someone that's going to go ahead and classify themselves as a loser in their own mind. Yep. So even when they're not conforming, they're still conforming. And what you're saying is you're going to do whatever you want, whatever makes sense for you, however it makes sense for you. And if something, if there's not a clear path, then you'll go educate yourself on the how to create one. Yeah, exactly. And that's another that's another thing that's like the. Well, that's just terrible. I mean, if everybody did that, what kind? Of, oh, wait a minute, that would be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just think about how interesting our society would be if everyone was really, um, really everyone really honored their uniqueness and really delved into what they are really inspired to do and create, and then we all just shared that with each other. That sounds amazing. What's it like for you now as, as a grown unschooler interacting in a world where most people have gone through the modern education, education system and therefore see life through a different lens? You know, one that's like it's not based on a freedom-based life perspective like you have, um, one that's more based on this, you know, rule-based society. What, do you look at everybody and think you people are freaking crazy? I mean, because I do. I wasn't even unschooled and I think they're crazy. So yeah. you might think they flipped out of their lids or something. <laughs> well, I um, I don't really see them as crazy. I just see that they were that they were programmed in a way that was that was not you know not supportive of their life force. And I I actually see their you know see their struggle that they're going through, and it's 
I mean, I, I see it like I'm, like I'm kind of outside of something, like, so a lot of people were kind of indoctrinated into a certain program model of reality that, and I'm, and I'm seeing that, that model of reality from outside of it. And at the same time, I can really feel where the individual people, like I, I have no, you know, um, I have no really respect or compassion for that system at all, but I do, you know, I do have compassion for the people who are, have, you know, for, are kind of like indoctrinated into it because I feel that they really, you know, want to break free of that. They don't even, a lot of them don't even know they're in it. And so it's been really important for me to, um, to really just be able to just reach out to people as, you know, cause we're both people. There's not really an innate difference between me and another person. It's, it's, we're both the same, you know, we're both from the same source. We're both of the same life energy. So I, and a lot of my, um, my, especially since I became a teenager and beyond, I, um, a lot of my interests have been in, um, in studying people and studying the psychology of people and, and belief and what, how, how our beliefs influence our, the lives we create for ourselves. And, and it's helped me really understand and have compassion for people and actually be able to help, help people in a, you know, in a sensitive way. So, you know, you're making me rethink some things here. I, I've always like gotten on this stuff about the everybody go to college thing, and I won't rehash that here because I think everybody listens to the show knows how I feel about that. But, and I'll always point to myself and say, well, I've had plenty of success without it. And people will say, well, you had the entrepreneurial spirit or whatever. And you're making me just think I had the the I don't know if it was stubbornness or what to resist the programming that was within the school. Like I would just do enough to get through it and, and just still basically I probably unschooled myself without being familiar with the term throughout school and, and afterward. And this, this special quality that people are, are saying is attributable to people that are successful without college, build businesses and things like that is really more of a resistance to this uh, this programming system, which I personally feel, I don't know how you feel, I personally feel our school system is designed to create workers to go into institutionalized jobs today. That's, that's the entire point. I think that's definitely the exact purpose of the education, the modern education system. And I think the people who, are, I mean, it's unschooling, it's, it's doesn't necessarily mean that I think unschooling is a mindset. I don't think it's necessarily somebody who never went to school. I think that a lot of people or some people who are going through the whole school system are have unschooled themselves like like you were talking about because you you recognize that you that your essence and your you know potential was a lot bigger than you, you recognize the system for what it was and then recognize that your potential was a lot bigger than that. So even though you were kind of you know interacting with that system, you weren't you know, you weren't of it. Kind of like you were in that world, but you weren't, but not of it. Well, you're going to one of my favorite quotes there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I love that quote. I'm in this world, but not of it. And that's, you know, I never really thought of it. That's how I felt in school. Like, this isn't for me. Yeah. This is just something I have to do because they said I have to do it. And as soon as I'm done with it, the hell with it. And I wanted to go in the Army, and I needed a diploma to get into the Army. So it was it was a quicker path in than quitting and getting a GED six months later. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I do think that a lot of people that are resisting this are resisting it. And again, I want your opinion on this because they have so much vested in it. When you tell a person has a master's degree, they, I mean, let's be let's be honest. That, that's taken a serious commitment. And they, and if they're in, a, if they have a master's in something practical like engineering, uh, they have a really specialized skill set. And maybe it's not for me, maybe it's not for you, but it's a noble pursuit. And what they hear people like you and I saying is that that whole system is wrong. And I think what we're saying is that whole system isn't right for everyone. Yeah, and well, and the system, I think the system is fine in itself. It's just the way that people use the system is it can you know determines whether someone's you know self-sufficient and happy or if they're you know a slave and and depressed. Because I see a lot of people. Um, I mean, you can use the system for your benefit. Kind of like I, you know, I use college for my benefit. And there's there's all sorts of systems in the world that we can use for our benefit. And and I would say that if somebody, you know, studied engineering and has a master's and an engineering master's degree in college, and they're enjoying their job and they're successful at it, I would say that they use that system for their benefit. But somebody who who has who is within that system and they and they they define their whole life based on that. Like they, that, to life to them is school, job, 
you know, marriage and children and then death. If someone's like that and, and, you know, and that results in this, like, hopelessness and depression, I think that's where the system is harmful, is, is it, when it becomes bigger than you, you know, when it becomes bigger than a person, that's when it's, it's harmful. There's nothing innately harmful about the system in general. It's just that are, are we, well, who are we conscious of being in relation to the system? Are we bigger than that? And can we just use it as a tool every now and then, a lot or not at all, depending on, you know, whatever we want to do? Or do we see it as something that controls us? Yeah, I agree. And I also I'm thinking about how people are actually starting to snap to this themselves now as these kids are coming out of school with $100,000, $200,000 worth of debt, and they're getting jobs for 29000 that they could have got out of high school yeah. if they get a job at all. And it makes me think, you mentioned one of the quotes that I really love. Let me give you another one here. Uh, a guy named Arthur Schopenhauer stated, all truth passes through three stages. First, it's ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. And third, it is accepted as self-evident. And I think that what we're seeing right now is the initial stages of violent opposition as people have gotten past ridicule. You know, we, they, they, people said, oh, this has got a problem for years. And people just said, ah, oh, poo-poo. And then once enough people kind of hit a critical mass and start to point out all the flaws, then because the system's in place, there's money, there's vested interest, all of these things together, you get to violent opposition. And I'm just wondering if, like, you know, 50 years or 100 years from now, people will look back at conversations like this and go, duh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's so true. I mean, that's how every new idea, every new advanced idea has come about. Is, is You know, it's ridiculed because people don't take it seriously because it seems to be a small force. But then the violent opposition comes from the fact that they're, oh, my God, they're recognizing this to be a very powerful force. and it, and They know the truth. They're, they're what do we do, right? They're sensing the truth behind it, and you know, violent opposition is is the last stage a system goes through before it dies. I mean, if you think about you know, the struggle before death, that's that's what it goes through because it's in in a way it's dying, it's being exposed for its flaws, and it's it's um, the the basis which is not based on truth that that the whole system is constructed on. So, and and it's be, yeah. I, like a lot of things these days, the education system is being exposed for its um, its um, harmful motives, and people recognizing that you know, well, maybe this is not the only way of doing things, and maybe I can think for myself, and and um, and maybe there's a better system. And I don't think people understand the money that's involved, even at the the, the, the secondary and, and 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 the primary education levels. Um, I read a report on the city of Dallas a few years ago that the city of Dallas was spending around $12,000 a student per year, uh, and there's millions of students just in the city of Dallas, and their failure rate, students that begin kindergarten in the city of Dallas and do not graduate high school is 50%. Wow. Um, no other business on the planet, even in most government agencies, could operate at that cost to failure ratio, it just wouldn't happen. And yet we have a, a society telling us, but we have to preserve something with a 50% failure rate. They cost us 12,000. Okay, then the other, you know, take the other side of that. So that's 120 grand across 10 years of school, and then do a little algebra and figure out the rest, and you're looking at about 200k. Yeah. Uh, per student with half of the failure. So our, our, our cost in the city of Dallas. For those that don't think I've learned math because I didn't go to school, it's about $400,000 per graduate. And you can go to any college on planet Earth and get a Ph.D. for that price. And yet this system has a failure rate of 50%. And, and that's why I'm like, you know, the old Susan Powder thing, stop the madness. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> And I don't, I mean, my concern is, you know, how do we fix it? Not everybody can do what you're planning on doing. Uh, I didn't homeschool my son. Uh, I didn't even know about most of these concepts through his school years. I always would, like, sit down when he had a project and go, okay, this is what you got to do to pass. Tell me what you actually think. But do you have any tips for people that maybe can't take the full step yeah. uh, and homeschool or unschool as to how they can, like, encourage this in their child while a system's trying to beat it out of them without creating a complete rebel that can't even walk through the doors? Um, yeah, well, I, I do have advice for, for families who are maybe don't have the time to be at home with their children all, all the time at this, at this point. 
um, I mean, there's there's uh, a style of education called Waldorf. It's um it's based on a, a, a really recognizing the natural way that children learn and what they're really ready for at certain times, and it's very um, whole brain oriented. It's it has as much to do about with creativity and art and and just creative thinking and imagination as it does with the you know the left brain stuff, the the logic oriented stuff. So, and I found that that's it's um it's not this it's not that system like it's a different it's a different thing it's structured but it's more like it's so much more like unschooling and the, the children have a lot more freedom so um i'm not sure how many actual waldorf schools there are in in the united states but i i'd even did a little bit of that just just with a few friends and i i really enjoyed it so that's a, a possibility there's even um might even look into school a school's type of school system called Montessori. It's a little different. Um, it's more freedom-based and more whole brain-based, similar to Waldorf. Um, and really, I think the, for me, the ultimate, I, I think it's very unnatural for, for um, families to be by themselves, away from family, away from friends, living in a house, having to, you know, having to work so much just to survive. I think that's very unnatural, and I think that that makes it hard for people to do the type of, you know, teach children and be with children in the way they really want to and the way that's really helpful. So I think the solution in our future that's going to solve the education thing is um, actually um, creating nature-based communities where our, you know, our our like-minded family and friends are living uh, you know, on a big piece of land with us, and we have eco villages, and we have our own space, yeah. and our children learn together, and the whole village raises, you know, the village raises the children, <clears throat> and they can even create their own internal um, schools that are that are, you know, very free, freedom oriented, and teach certain subjects based on the the interest level of the children, and and we could create our own as long as yeah, I I think that is. That's extremely empowering, and, and I want to. I've been reading this book that one listener recommended called "Early Retirement Extreme," which has been totally different than I thought it would be because it's far more philosophy than uh, financials. And one of the things that hit me in this book is he said, "Is society has evolved toward?" And this guy talks. If you know anything about permaculture, he talks about society, and he doesn't use the word, but it's very permaculture esque. Yeah. You know, society is operating at a climax stage. And we've got to a point now where both parents work, nobody's home, all the things you're talking about. So we've turned to the institutions to handle raising and teaching our children. So we, exactly. we institutionalize our children. And he said, is it any, and it makes you think, oh crap, what have I done? Cause my kid's 22 now and I can't start over. Um, is it any surprise then that our children, when they're grown and that the, 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 the elders need help, they institutionalize the elders. We've taught them to do it. How can we be mad at a child who's 50 that puts his 80 year old parent into an institution because when that child was was five years old throughout his entire young adult life his parents placed him into an institution uh-huh. not in a negative not like like a mental institution but it's been an institutional uh-huh. based care system so, so the child has learned conditionally that that's what you do for care is go institutional uh-huh, that's so right on they're just reciprocating in the, in the way they believe is you know the way things should be <laughs> It's not a vendetta. It's just, well, that's what I learned to do. Uh, I have to work, and I have to do things every day, and I can't be here to take care of you, so I need to send you someplace to get taken care of. And that's exactly what we're telling our children. And I don't have a quick fix for it because there's a lot of people out there that are in two-income families that um, they, they put themselves in the debt trap. They have a long way out. By the time they get out, they may not, at that point, you know, your kids may be grown, and that's kind of how it ended up for me, because yeah. I came to this stuff late, but, so I don't have an easy solution, but I think that we need to take a more active role in our learning, and I don't think that's always just helping kids with school projects. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's, it's, these are really important things to think about, and they're all, it, they're all interconnected, too. The education thing, the education dilemma is, is connected to our, you know, our, our, working hard to survive dilemma like the fact that yeah like you said most both parents and most families have to work and if i mean it used to be that you know the the mother would stay home with the children and and actually raise the children and that's just not the way it is right now i mean even even like 
a few weeks or months after a baby is born, a, a mother will often go back to work and put her, you know, put her infant in daycare, which I think is just absurd, insane. And um, and that just shows how, you know, if there's a a system in place that's, then, um, yeah, that's unnatural. And that I, I do think it's unnatural. And the village dynamic that you were talking about, the community dynamic you were talking about earlier, um, it's amazing how books, again, that don't seem like they're going to talk about these things do. I just read The Paleo Solution by Rob Wolf, and he was talking about how our ancestors, not just what they ate and how they worked out, but uh, they didn't really work out, how they how they got their exercise from walking to, vi- to visit other villages, uh, from hunting, from building things, uh, but... The, the, obviously, they didn't spend 100% of their time, you know, running away from bears and, and killing deer. Uh, they spent a lot of time laying around with each other and had this sense of community that we don't even, it's completely foreign to us now. And if you have that dynamic going on, whether you're teaching algebra or how to grow a green bean, um, you have hundreds of teachers in essence because every person that learns a skill now becomes a teacher of that skill so there can be a five-year-old educating a four-year-old uh on a given skill set and and the five-year-old is going to relate to the four-year-old better than the 40-year-old yeah exactly yeah there's there's actually a couple um schools um there's a school in russia it's called the shetanen school i i Choose to know how to spell that. It's, it's um, run by um, Andre Shetnin. Um, it's basically a, a child-directed school, like where the children actually come up with the, work together to come up with the curriculum, and they help each other out. And the uh, you know the adults who are around just just um, kind of hang out and make sure that if anyone needs any help, then they're there to help. And and the children are the are the teachers and the learners. And there's, it's often, you know, we're an, we're an eight-year-old will be teaching a five-year-old or eleven-year-old will be teaching a nine-year-old something, or or even the other way around. If someone like a eight-year-old could be teaching a ten-year-old a certain subject, and it's amazing, you know, it's and and that those because they feel in charge in the way that school set up because they feel in charge of their their learning experience. They're really really dedicated and very interested and very passionate. And there's actually a DVD. Um, it's a, like a 20-minute little DVD about that school. It's actually called The School, the DVD is. And if I had more information about it, I'd give it to you. But maybe you can maybe you can post that somewhere after the well, thing because it's no, I'll, very inspiring. No, I'll look that up. I'll look that up, and I'll make it part of the show notes. That, that's awesome. And the, the other thing is I just look and I go, well, for the first 100 years of America, that's how public schools in, in America were. Um, the teacher basically taught what we would today call the 12th grader. The 12th grader taught the 11th grader and so on. Yeah. Uh, and kids weren't separated. They were put into – and I think people look today and go, well, we can't do that because we have more kids. Well, um, it's all about how you dev- – I mean – I know I didn't go to college or anything, but it's all about how we divide up groups of 40. Uh, we can divide up groups of 40 in that mixed age environment, or we can sterilize and sanitize everything. Because I don't know, when I was in like fifth grade, I wanted to be like the seventh graders, right? Oh, yeah. So the seventh graders would have been teaching me. I would have, you know, and they were, but they weren't teaching me school stuff. Yeah, you know, they, <laughs> they were teaching right? you. But, you bad social influences. <laughs> yeah, but if we could channel that somehow, yeah. and I, I I think we could reform public schools. I just think that people like you that are taking things in your own hands are right. We don't have time to wait. We can work on that, but I, I think that, that, I don't know, it's more people that are unschooled, homeschooled, win science fairs, win scholarships. At some point, uh, the, the society has to look to that and go, well, if they're wrong, then how come they achieve more than everybody else? Yeah, exactly. And, and I don't think it's 100%, but I think the when we look at percentages, they're significant enough. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's hard to argue with. Yeah, it, well, people say a lot of the people who are who are noticing that that actually they you know they achieve more in in many subjects than than school people that they're you know they're they are very intelligent and that's that's the education thing isn't an argument anymore they they turn the argument into a socialization thing like oh well how how do you socialize your and and that you know for me that comes back to community and if we're not like actually living in a physical eco village at the time it's it you know, we require other things like finding our local community in the city or town we're in, and and there's plenty of ways to have continuous social interactions as a you know as an unschooler or a homeschooler. That's just 
it's just that you're you're actually choosing the you know the social atmospheres rather than it just being you know spoon fed to you. It, you just I mean for me I I was interested in ballet so I went and took ballet classes and made a bunch of friends and and I was an ice skater I went and did all that and made a bunch of friends and I went to local ho- homeschooling and unschooling playgroups and made a bunch of friends and I did all sorts of stuff because in a way I was actually when people talk about the real world but. But these people who are, you know, in school for 13, 15, whatever, how many, however many years of their life are kind of actually isolated from the real world. I was actually in the real world. I was out, you know, taking classes, meeting my neighbors, um, just exploring in the actual world because I had the time to do so, the time and the freedom to do so. So in a way, like I grew up in the real world and whereas people in school, they kind of grew up in a building. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute because you're bringing up a really interesting dynamic there. Because um, they say all this about all this great social school skills kids learn in school, and what it is is the popular kids learn how to stay popular, and everybody else learns how to be crapped on. If we want to be completely honest about it, that's why we have kids today that are killing themselves from being bullied in school. So yeah. I don't know how great the socialization training is there, but as far as real world, if I work for now, unless I've been so programmed by the system that I don't realize this, if I work at a place and I just think I don't like my boss, I don't like the people. I work with, all these people are jerks, and I don't want to be around them anymore, and I don't like what's going on here, then I leave and go to a different job. Yeah. Well, if, if when you were in your activities, if you had gone to ballet and you didn't like the people you were having ballet with, well, maybe you would have said the heck with this and went and take, took tap classes and decided maybe that, or something totally different. But we put these children in these schools, and they end up around other kids they do not want to be around that are bullying them or bad influences or simply are not the type of person they wish to associate with. We force the association for 13 years. Yeah. And then we go, gee, it doesn't work. I don't understand why. Yeah. Or, gee, there's kids being bullied. Or Because if you put enough kids together, somebody's going to be the bottom and somebody's going to be the top. Yeah, definitely. Especially when people are pent up and unhappy in a big building. Uh, that's a lot more likely to, to create, you know, to make passionate leader, leader, you know, natural leader children into bullies. And I mean that their the bullies might actually their energy might be being distorted too by the by the un you know the unnatural system that they're being placed in and the fact that they have a lot of passion and they take it out on other children and then of course the the ones who are being bullied are <clears throat> are yeah they're they're that's they're being disrespected and it's just it's just unbalanced for everyone the even you know. You can view it as a, a victim and and a you know, victim and perpetrator, but really they're both being, you know, they're both in a bad position. They're both being victimized by the system. I agree with that because the person that ends up being the popular jock or the cheerleader or whatever that's the mean kid is got themselves into a system now where the last thing they ever want is to be cast down out of yeah. their little so they have to retain behavior that's unnatural for them to stay in that popular clique and everything and everyone in society is telling them this is where you need to be where if we remove the forced associations people can actually behave like human beings again yeah exactly because that doesn't happen it doesn't happen in the real world you don't have one guy walking around an office flicking other kids in the head, you know, other adults in the head, <laughs> right? Because we don't, it doesn't, it doesn't happen, but it happens in every high school in America. Yeah. And you know? And, I, I think it, there's something about the uh, the school system that's, it's, it's creating this little bubble reality. Like, it's not actually, it, and it's not as, it's so convenient and so, like, so just, you know, it's a certain way. And I think a lot of, like a lot of people who go to college and they, they get a degree and then they end up, you know, wanting to, keep going to college, keep going and keep going, they, they become, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the term professional students. They basically keep going to college just because they're, they, they're afraid of the unpredictability of, because it's, it's a slow convenient system where everything's predictable. But if you go outside of that, everything's unpredictable and, and random, kind of like, you know, life is. And a lot of people are scared of, who, have, who have grown up in this predictable environment and, and who have been kind of domesticated in this environment, they grow up in that, and then they go out into this big wild world where basically you create your reality, and and you're you know it's all up to you, and it's scary because they weren't they didn't grow up in that, so they become professional students and just keep going back to school so they can get more money going back to school. <laughs> and I guess if you go there long enough, sooner or later they'll get tired of it and they'll offer you a job teaching. 
You go yeah, from exactly. student to assistant to teacher, and people live their entire lives on a single college campus. I, yeah. And I do think that there's something there. We look at, like, hunter-gatherer societies, and we call them primitive. But a, a, an eight-year-old child in a hunter-gatherer society knows how to build shelter, and they know how they will what, what they can eat, what plants will kill them, what plants will be medicine. Um, they, they know all of these things that the average person, if you kick them out of the city for, for 15 days in, in, in a fairly benign environment, you'd find them shivering and starving yeah. right? or dead, right? Yeah, they'd be dead in a week, most people in that those systems, because they're, they're so domesticated. And you're right, the, you know, the primitive tribe, they knew, they knew real-life skills like the children did, too. I mean, my my son, my two year old son, he just turned two, and he's, you know, he's in nature a lot, and he already knows, you know, the edible plants and and the the things that he's not supposed to eat or touch, and he knows what they're called, and and he, yeah, and he's amazing. I mean, it's amazing what a two year old can know. Well, because they want to know, and I think yeah. that's where we're beating out of it. I, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about your blog here as we finish up today. Your blog is called Ecstatic Mothering, and I think that's just awesome. <laughs> um, and I was looking at one of your uh, one of your posts uh, from from earlier this year, and it was called Radical Nourishment for Your Magical Toddler, and I just thought that was really cool. So what do you mean by radical nourishment for your kids? Oh, well, um. Mostly talking about what you know, just viewing us as as one a being, as fully alive being who's in this part of this interconnected web of life all around us, and how all of these all of the life around us is actually designed to nourish us, and it's it's a lot more it's a lot more than just you know the food we put into our bodies. There's there's so much more, and and um, it's about you know recognize like like um you know in a tribal tribal people they recognize their their interdependence with our with the the well being of our planet and and there's so much and there's so much in the that nourishes us and, and contributes to our genius and our optimal development and our um and our you know our strength and vitality there's so much more than just just the little you know the nutritional science that we've been you know, spoon fed <laughs> from, you know, modern science and school and college and things like that. There's, there's so much, we have so much more potential. And that's, that's what I'm thinking about is how to, I, you know, as I raise my, my little boy who's a toddler right now, I, I think about all the things that he does. I mean, he, <clears throat> he gets, he's naked most of the time. He gets sun on his entire body on most days. So he has a, you know, he has a deep tan at, at age two. He's constantly breathing fresh air. He's um, he drinks wild harvested spring water. Um, he walks barefoot, and actually, that's that's some. There's so many things, man. This is he uh, he walks barefoot, which actually um, promotes optimal foot development. Putting putting uh, children under age two and especially under age, I mean, even under age eight, putting their um, their feet in like hard soled shoes actually. Um, will mess up their entire alignment of their whole body because they don't have bones in their feet. Uh, every, all their bones are actually still cartilage. They're still soft and still developing. So it actually shapes their foot to have them in shoes. And so my son, he's been barefoot since he was first started walking, and, and now the only shoes he wears are little moccasins, which have soft soles and, and still, um, still, you know, still provide optimal foot development. Um, but yeah, that's, that, there's all these just little things and, you know, wild food and, and, you know, growing our own food and just, just all sorts of things that to me are radical forms of nourishment because they're outside of the box. You know, people don't think about them when they think of nourishment. Absolutely. That's, that, I mean, it, it's, it's a completely different way of looking at things, but to me, it's also like life's a circle and all you're saying is, you know, all the people who lived before us pretty much lived this way, and it was only in our arrogance that we created this this false this, uh, this false sense of uh, of what a society is supposed to be, and then tried to shape people into it. Um, the other thing I was just thinking of is listening to you talk about all this. I I never actually heard a, a large group of homeschool parents say that they have huge problems with children with ADD. It's almost like the problem doesn't actually exist at all. I don't think it exists. I think it only exists within the school system. 
I mean, yeah, I, I don't understand how it actually could exist because all of the symptoms are just normal childhood behavior. Yeah, exactly. But people are trying to mold their children to not be children. So they're 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 saying that being a child and, and that the child's natural, you know, innate, you know, way of being is a disease. So because that's a that's a trick, you know, that's a, a mind trick. So that to say to say to them, but this, the way you are is not right. So we need to change you. So that you'll you'll fit in, or you'll be able to you know survive in the world. So that's how people start to try to change their their true natures by by early on being diagnosed with a disease. You know what's what's more psychologically manipulative than that? It's a it's a whole it's just a mind game. It's not even real. But you know, the more you talk, the more you're you're making me rethink some things, and I, I'm just seeing more and more. At any time than ever, this fallacy that school teaches kids what the real world's like, it absolutely teaches them what the real world's not like. And what I mean by that is, let's say I was doing a seminar and you decided you wanted to learn about, uh, I don't know, wolves. And I was talking about wolves and you came to my seminar and you're a free adult and you sat down in my seminar and I came up to the microphone and I said, today I am here to teach you about wolves. <laughs> wolves come in gray and black, and white. And people out there right now are ready to put a gun to their head to stop it, right? And what would you do? Would you sit there for the 40 minutes that you're required to, or would you go, I don't even care that I paid 19 bucks to listen to this fool. This is 40 minutes of my life I'll never get back. And you would walk out, right? So in the real world, when a subject is uninteresting or not useful to us, we simply avoid it. And in a school system where a subject is uninteresting or boring to a child, they are forced to sit there through it. And, and I know there's certain fundamentals we have to teach our kids, but I don't think it's eight hours a day for freaking uh, 12, 13 years yeah. to get those fundamentals taught. And a lot of it, I think, is the way the information is being presented that makes it so boring and so uninteresting, like you were saying. If, if someone's learning about wolves by a guy who's talking like that, I mean, what if somebody was learning about wolves by, like, climbing their tree and, like, observing an actual wolf in the distance? That's way more exciting. And you'll probably learn a lot more than learning from some guy who thinks he knows about wolves who's obviously not excited to be there. <laughs> or you got tricked in the, you got tricked in the first place and you came there to learn about wolves and I get up and I'm even a great teacher and I go and today we're here to learn about the wolf spider and its entomology and you like wait a minute that and sometimes I think courses are that way like you oh, look at a course and what it's supposed to teach you and you think I'm supposed to come out of this engineering course able to do engineering and you really don't learn engineering in the engineering course. So you, you go to the accounting course and they say, really what you're learning for the first three years is bookkeeping. You'll learn accounting in your fourth year. Yeah. Um, and you feel just like, just like that happened. Yeah, we're here to learn about the wolf spider or wolf class submarines or something. Wait, wait, wait a minute. That's, that's not really why I signed up. Yeah. And like, like the fact that, um, that's, you know, medical students, like doctors only study like a, a tiny, tiny percentage of hours in, in actual nutrition <laughs> they don't really study or help. the way the body works you know hell they just mostly study drugs and surgery and memorize every part of the body at, yeah. you know in the anatomical name and things like that but yet if you ask a doctor what is the prescription for optimum health? Most of them have no. That is not what they're taught. Yeah. They're taught about how to treat disease, not to create, not how to create optimal health. Yeah, you know, we were just watching the show called The Shark Tank, where entrepreneurs pitch their ideas. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they have people there like Mark Cuban's one of the sharks, and you pitch your idea to the sharks, and they decide if they'll buy into your company for what you're asking at a certain percentage. And this guy had these little things that he's selling apparently in the Middle East that you basically put on your nose, and they're like a filter for allergens and, and toxins to keep them from going into your nose. I don't know that I would wear one, uh, but apparently some people will, and in these countries where people are wearing masks, it's much less noticeable than a mask. And they said to him, why are you here? If this works as good as you say it did, why didn't you take it to pharmaceutical companies? And he said, I did. And they said, why would we prevent it for a dollar a week when we can treat it for 14 <laughs> The truth comes out. <laughs> and I actually still have that on my DVR, and I need to cut that segment out and stick it on YouTube just That's for people awesome. to see it. But I think that is that is a metaphor for everything we're talking about today. Why would we teach children algebra in 17 days when we can get $10,000 a year per student to make it take four years? Yeah, exactly. 
Because we could use this, like, you know, I don't know what you pay for that book, but I'm thinking under 20 bucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that this is really more than anything else about conformity and money. And we want a yeah. society of shaped people who will fit into the system like a cog uh, or a, a sprocket or whatever. You can be a sprocket or a cog or a lever, but uh, you're going to be one of those, and you're going to pick what that is, and you're going to stick yourself in there. Yeah. And I guess if you want to control a society, that's a great way to do it. But it, what this, this early retirement extreme book that I'm reading kind of compares this philosophy, I'm seeing a lot of similarities here, to a Renaissance philosophy. You know, there's in, in modern society, the guy says there's the businessman, the salary man, the working man, and they all have different ways they fit in. And then there's the renaissance man that just basically learns everything that he wants to learn and can fit in anywhere in any way. And that that's actually was like when the dark ages ended and the renaissance came, it was it was what did that. And basically he says we're, we're right now heading to a new dark age where everybody is exactly the same, and it's going to take a renaissance to pull us out of it. And this sounds like a renaissance philosophy to me. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think the dark age is already passing because so many people are seeing that the truth of it. So I don't think we're headed towards it. I think that we've we've already been through been through it, and we're actually coming into the you know the new renaissance right now. So we're like on a dawning of a second renaissance. That's yeah. that's that's a much more positive thought. Yeah. yeah. So, um, folks, uh, I, I really want you to make sure you uh, you take in what you've heard today, and I want you to make sure you check out this blog uh, that Courtney has, the Static Mothering. We talked a little bit about it today, but she's got a ton of material on there. Um, anything else you want to maybe uh, let people know before we wrap up here today, Courtney? Um, well, I, I still kind of remember you asking me a question earlier about um, about you know what do you what are your what do you feel like your advantages are about um, being an unschooler, and I said one of it's just you know, freedom and like trusting my direction, my internal promptings. And the other thing I learned um, was resourcefulness, how to actually find out what I want to know. I mean, people are used to giving, you know, having information just given to them. I can find information. I can find anything I want to know. And I just learned, you know, I didn't learn these subjects. I learned resourcefulness so that I could teach myself the subjects. So I, a lot of times I tell people that, my, you know, my parents helped me learn how to read and then I taught myself everything else. <laughs> I think there's a lot to say for that. I mean, what I've always said is we should be teaching children not stuff, but how to learn. And if we did that, they would actually go out and freaking learn whatever they're interested in. And whenever anybody says, but then the child won't have the opportunity to be an astronaut or president of the United States or whatever, I'm like, you know what, there's 50% of society that's going to go out and work a blue-collar job anyway. And I actually think if we had this this freedom in our education system, some of those people wouldn't be doing that blue-collar job. And some of the people in the white-collar world that are freaking miserable would be happily building kitchen cabinets or something. Yeah. (laughs) Or becoming astronauts or presidents. (laughs) Correct. And maybe, well, we can only hope that maybe a a renaissance man would become president. Um, That's certainly not what we have in government today, and not just the president, not just about all levels. We have uh, people that are building a conformist system. Um, But I think it's up to people like us to break out of it. And uh, I think what you're doing is great, and I think that we need more folks like you out there. So thanks for being with us today, and thanks for sharing your insights. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. And if anything ever comes up where you want to come back on the show and talk about a specific subject or whatever, if there's a story in the news that relates to you and you want to give your take on it, get in touch with me. We'll bring you back on. Uh, You have an open invitation here. Thank you very much. I might take you up on that. We'd love to have you back. Folks, with that, this has been today Jack Spirito along with Courtney Clay, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
revolution is you.